In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Morning. Do you have a strategy for going for the gold in an area of your life? Do you have that competitive skill of what it takes? Welcome to GirlfriendIt, a great place to connect and girlfriendify your life. We're Lisa and Patty, and on today's show, we're going to give you some steps tips and interviews to help you move towards living your dream, being golden, and going for the gold. Joining us today are two Olympians who understand what it takes to have that journey to gold. Well, you know what? We're going to be talking about going for a gold medal, which some of us will never experience. And then we're talking about being golden. And I have to qualify what being golden what we mean when we say being golden, because when I first met you 10 years ago, you were the youngest of six children, and you told me, just emphatically, I just want you to know I am golden, I am God's favorite, I am my, my parents' favorite, and you know, I... I said I, that in a very humble way, I'm sure. Uh, you know what? I don't know about that one. <laughs> I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. But I remember thinking, wow, and I go, and I, you know, I kind of blew it off, honestly, but then as I discovered the past 10 years, you really are golden. Golden things happen to you. And then we realized, then I just had this like epiphany just not too long ago that really golden is a choice. You it have really to choose to see yourself yes. as golden, going, I am golden no matter my circumstances. And so I've learned a lot from you, your goldenness. And um, so anyway, that's what we're talking about today. How do you live golden and how do you go for the gold medal? So I think there's like a, uh, there's something we can learn from athletes and people that really go for the gold. And then how do you apply some of those principles into your everyday life? For well, those of ours, they'll never be that athlete. An example would be one of the Olympians, that uh, John Bickard, that was going to be on the show today. He works at Stanford, and I had contacted him, and he said, sure, I'll be on the show. And then at the last minute, he had a schedule conflict. Well, normally when a guest cancels on you, all they can do is cancel. They can just call up and, and say, And then you go into panic yeah, mode. Yeah, you go into panic mode, and you scramble, and you try to get another guest. Whereas John, he literally, he went for the gold. He contacted another Olympian and, and made that happen, which it just makes you just stop and go, is that, something, is that a skill that your whole entire life that you've worked to always go for the gold, to always do your best, to always go over and beyond, that it just leads into And he really went life. over and beyond instead of just going, I am so sorry, I can't do this, and, you know, so, so sorry, so sad for you, he goes, I will find my replacement. Yes, yes. Could you imagine if we all did that? If we, if we all scrubbed the toilets in life and did those things. I can't see you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great thought for you. But you know what? It would be, what would the world be like if, if we really tried to be golden in every area of our life? You know, no matter if it's our relationships, if it's in our jobs, if it's in our, um, with our health, if we really go, how can I go beyond here? How can I go beyond the expectations and really give my best? Would you be exhausted? I would be totally be exhausted. <laughs> but wouldn't you rather be exhausted than go to bed at night bored and just not happy, not knowing that you, you gave it your best and gave it your all and Absolutely. you were intentional in everything that you, you did? Absolutely. You're literally leaving your signature and leaving your mark at, at being the best. Well, and you know what? How many times do we miss the opportunity to be golden? And, and miss that, we miss the mark, so to speak, and we, we see something right in front of us or somebody we could have helped or we could have done something, and we choose not to really see it. Well, even in small things. I Just the other day, I was walking, and I saw a woman that was really struggling, holding all of her bags and books and trying to open up the door, 
And that little part in your brain that says you need to kind of jog ahead and help her open the door, and then you go, oh, no, I, I think she's got it covered because it would mean effort and mean movement on my part. On your part. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched my daughter go and kind of run ahead and open the door. And I love that, that she did that. But I, in my mind, I Haley thought. does have that kind of <laughs> spirit about her. I don't know where she got that. I do not know where she got it. But I thought, you missed it, Patty. You had an opportunity, and you, you took that second pause instead of just moving. Well, and I think so many times it. we go, you know, we go, oh, they don't, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, they don't really need my help or whatever. And you just, we're so consumed and so um, just that tunnel vision in our own path and where we need to go next. And so we just, that peripheral vision, we're not looking around us to see what's going on around us where we could maybe engage. Yes. You know? And that's one of the things that we always try to um, at least talk about doing is to be more uh, going for the gold in, in relationships in every aspect, to really be intentional with that and be relationship driven right um and and step it up and be in, be in well i'm thinking about the other person put their needs before ours and realize that grace needs to be given and you need to overlook some things and we all have our quirks and we need to i, I think i was talking to someone last night and they were saying that life is really finding out and discovering other people's quirks and and, and, and embracing them you know in a friendship that's what makes it to go to a deeper level and it's like i know you've embraced some of my quirks and i love that because i know that it could drive you crazy, but you choose not to. We laugh about it. <laughs> well, I know my quirks are um, crazy, and you have mocked them for forever. Okay, so I have to say, I'm walking up to your house, because this time of the year brings out a, a really quirky side to you, because you love practical things. And I remember last year, we were not, standing outside. Not practical things, practical Practical jokes. gifts, but you are practical. <laughs> but you, I never know what I'm going to discover in your house. And at Halloween, you love Halloween, and you love things that you love the boo factor. And so last year, I remember talking to you outside, and I look at in the in the window seal of your garage, and there's this mouse there, and I, it took it startled me, and then I realized it was a plastic mouse that you had put there, and you loved it when I noticed it, and it scared me. So I was walking up today to your house, um, or you know, and I just was just thinking, um, okay, this is the season. This is the season. It's for, it September. Yeah, and you know, sure enough. I, I have discovered around your house in the past couple of days um, that you have things kind of coming out of drawers. And, in fact, there's like a hand, a plastic hand coming out of a drawer. It's a bloody hand. It's a bloody hand. And so I never know what to expect. I lost the boo factor, though. It, did, it didn't frighten you well, at all. Well, because now we're on to you. Well, we can talk about some of the steps in going for the gold, obviously not bloody fingers coming out of drawers or anything like that. But... Um, our, our guest that we already bragged about, John, that um, was going for the gold, he gave us some of the simple steps for people to, to do that in life. Do so you mean that when athletes, there is kind of like a plan in life to believe, going for the gold? Believe it or not, they do put a plan in place. <laughs> well, well, he did. Like you said, he put some things together, some steps for going for the gold. And you know what? It doesn't just apply for athletes. It applies for anybody who's trying to pursue anything with excellence. Well, I know the first one, it's, it's a mental move more than it is a physical move. And I, I find that really interesting because who, who would figure, who would, you know, that, oh, you have to have your mind in the right place. And that is so true in everything, in losing weight and being more intentional with relationships. You really have to have your mind in the right place. And, and kind of become obsessive maybe well, for I some know. of us. <laughs> Okay, what's funny about that is you tease me about being obsessive with working out, but if you're with another group of athletes, I would be at the end part of obsessiveness on how many hours I engage in working out. And you just said hours, not minutes. Mine would be how many minutes I work out each day, and yours is how many hours. So my point, I don't need to say anything else. (laughs) Yes, it is a mental thing. Okay, I think another step you said was get your head in the zone. That is so true, especially like, like losing weight or, like you said, even doing anything like that. You have to have your head there first or you're not going to follow through if it really doesn't mean anything. And I know you, you gave me an example one time. You said it's like a dog sitting on a tack and he's barking, and you go, why doesn't the dog get off? Well, it doesn't hurt enough. And it's like get your head in the thing where you go, I'm, I'm in this now. I'm in this no matter what. And I mean, through the pain, through whatever, to make it happen. Yeah, and you're right. So many times it does take pain. Um, to make you move forward. Okay, I have a painful experience I have to tell you about. Okay, go for it. My very first sprint triathlon that I, I had ever 
tried to jump into. Um, I didn't realize, you know, all the little details of it, and I had my bike all ready to go, and, and Kevin um, was out of town. So when I woke up that morning, I went to go put the bike in the truck, and I had a low tire. So I did not even know how to fill up a tire. Okay, how sad is that? And, and it's still sad because I really don't know how to do that either <laughs> still to this day. But what I didn't know is once you go to um, the place, where you um, are check doing, in. check in, they, they have all that there. They have every single bicycle shop. They would fix your tire. They would do all that. But I did not know this at the time. This must have been your first, first one. one. So I called my sister up. It was about an hour and a half away, and I thought, I'll stop by her house, and I'm going to grab whatever bike she has. Well, she had my little nephew's bike. It was this motocross bike that was a little too small for me. And so here I am. I'm doing this triathlon, and I'm, I'm it's, it's the sprint one, so it's only like 13 miles on the bike, but 13 miles on this little boy's motocross bike. And I was like the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, when she has Toto and all these really nice, like $5,000, you know, street bikes are zooming by me. And um, I didn't have my head in the, in the game at all. I was, I was a little bit more in that, okay, this is a very humbling, humiliating experience. But I loved it. I, I had a blast doing it. It was great. I know. Well, you know what? We are talking about overcoming the pain and overcoming the obstacles because those things happen. That happens to us in life no matter what we're trying to do. We get flat tires and we don't have all the resources and we don't have all the knowledge, but we still need to go. And, and that's what's going to be so fun about talking with our guest today. And I know Emily coming up, she, uh, you know, she's a competitor. She has, has gone for the gold. She's done the team dynamics and, and you know, overcome a lot of things to get you just don't you just don't go get a gold medal. So she has really gone for the gold and she's worn the gold and has the gold, which is really cool. More, more than we can say. <laughs> yeah, more than we will ever say. <laughs> what, what's the little syrup thing that we painted gold one time and and uh, Aunt Jemima or and, yeah, yeah, handed out as trophy. Does that count? <laughs> I think it does. I I, I claim it. <laughs> Well, you know what? Today we're going to talk about going gold, and we want you to think about an area of your life where maybe you need to go, I need to pursue a little more goldenness in this area and pursue excellence, and maybe there's some strategies that I need to apply to my life that I can do today and to really come out golden. So we want you to start thinking as we go to break about what that could look like in your own life as we talk to Emily and we come back and we... This is Girlfriend on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. Critical thinking in the real world. What does it take to get ahead and stay ahead of the curve in this ever-changing world around us? Critical thinking in the real world with Janet Hens. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central on Toginet. Starting November 4th, Janet Hens is a college instructor, speaker, writer, wife, and mother of three young children. She also has her Master's of Arts in writing from Johns Hopkins University. Janet began her career working for a congressman on Capitol Hill, then moved over to lobbying when he retired. It was through these jobs that she learned about the power of grassroots initiatives, media relations, and public speaking. And then she honed these skills when she became a college instructor. Today, she artfully balances work with full-time motherhood. In the show, Critical Thinking in the Real World, Janet will discuss hot topics and the critical thinking necessary to assess them. Her passion for education impacts her daily life, and she'll share that in every show. Critical Thinking in the Real World with Janet Hens, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central, starting November 4th on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are back, and we are talking about going for the gold and being golden. And Patty's been sharing some stories of her goldenness because she, she really has chosen to believe that she's golden and 
And I, I have to mock her all the time because it does seem like she's golden, but we're talking with a couple of Olympians today who have really gone for the gold. And, you know, so many times when you go for the gold, whether it's um, – sporting event or whether it's just in your personal quest to, you know, in relationships or a job, whatever, so many times you get obstacles and things don't go like planned. And what comes to mind right away is, is just this past Olympics um, in 2010. I don't know if you guys watched when, that, when the, uh, the speed skater was going around, and the guy from, um, from Switzerland, and he was, he was skating and he had the gold all wrapped up and he was coming around the corner and his coach had him change lanes, and because he's so focused on what he's doing, he just he focused on his coach, and he changed the lanes, and actually the coach gave him the wrong information, and so he lost the gold medal at the last moment. And I just remember watching that, and it was like you felt for him. It oh, was you like would your die. heart. You You're, would die. You would, you would die. And I just remember going, okay, what is that going to do between the coach <laughs> and the athlete? Because you go, you just cost me the gold medal. And then in, in athletes, it, for an athlete like in the Olympics, it's even more than that. It's, it's, it's your country that you're representing. So you feel like you let your country down. So anyway, it was interesting to watch because he, he ended up forgiving and, and, you know, and, and overcoming that. But in that moment, you could just see the anguish and realizing what he lost. But, you know, so many times we go for the gold and we don't quite make it or something doesn't go like planned. Oh, yeah, I can't even imagine. But our next guest is Emily Lesseur, and she is an Olympian gold medalist from 1996. And Emily, are you there? Thanks for being on the show with us today. Hi, yeah, I'm here. Yay! Well, we have so many questions to ask you, but we have to start out with, um, when did your journey begin with going towards the Olympics? Was that something that, as a child, that you always wanted to do? Was it something that your parents really encouraged? Um, I, I didn't start in synchronized swimming until I was almost 12, which is kind of late, I think, for um, to you know aim for the Olympics. But um, I, let's see, I started when I was 12, and then how old was I? Well, I was 23 at the Olympics, and I set a goal to go to the Olympics um, eight years earlier after watching the 1988 games. So um, it was after watching the games when you yeah. said, all right, I'm going to do yeah, this. Yeah, so I wrote it. Somebody I, that, I, who inspired you that you're watching, because I just remember, you know, watching Dorothy Hamill as a child and going, I want to be an ice skater. And I want to right, be a right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were um, a couple of athletes from our country, you know, that competed in the 88 games, and so... I watched them and decided that's where I wanted to be. So, that's kind wow! Of fun. And then your parents just said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna do whatever it takes to help you out." Yeah, you know what? They were awesome. I mean, I'm one of five kids, so they were never overly involved. You know, they had to spread their time equally, but which was, I think, kind of nice. I got to do my own thing, but they totally supported me in in you know what I wanted to do and just said, you know, go for it. So. Okay, we we gave one of our tips earlier is like it's more of it's a really a mental thing. So how did you once you make a decision? I think so many times you make a decision. I want to go for gold, but then sometimes you don't know what to do beyond that. You know, what's my first step? What does it look like? So in the process of going, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to be this. What did you have to start doing on that journey? Um, well, you know, after '88, I think I didn't really even know, and so my original goal was to go to the '92 Olympics. But I think I really had no clue, like, the road to, that it took. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I kind of had to readjust some of my plans. And, um, and then, you know, mostly it's just not, not very much of the long-term goals, but mostly just the short-term goals that get you there, you know, the daily stuff that you have to do. And that I could control. And so I just worked on, you know, just different things at home and in the pool and at the gym and, you know, kind of kept going every day. Um. You know, experts say that being in the Olympics comes with, you know, obviously the greatest pressure and that nothing else matches that. It's, it's gut, gut-riching anxiety and, you know, the Super Bowl, the World Series, not even the Wimbledon, um, all those combinations, it still doesn't match up to the pressure and the anxiety that you have in being um, – in the Olympics, especially because you, you, like Lisa had mentioned earlier, you're also not just representing yourself, but you're representing your country. Did you feel that, or did you, it wasn't, it, was it maybe later that you felt all the pressures of that? You know, I wish someone had told me that, 
going into it because, <laughs> you know, I felt that pressure immensely and felt a little bit, I, I felt bad about it that it, you know, it was almost more at some time, you know, some parts are fabulous and you're just really enjoying it and other parts, the pressure is just getting to you so much and I wish I had heard that, that, you know, it's, it's normal to <laughs> be feeling that much stress at that time. That would have probably helped me out. I, you know, sometimes I thought, I should be able to handle all this perfectly. I'm an Olympian, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, you've spent, up to that point, most of your life training for it, and other people, especially if you're on a team, if it's a team sport, um, you know, other people, uh, your, their gold medal is riding on you as well, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of pressure. And for, for our team in particular, we had been, our, you know, the U.S. national team, we had been dominating for the past four years in the world. And so we had that pressure added on, you know, that we were kind of expected to live up to it. And so, so that was definitely something I wasn't quite expecting, but there were a lot of, of really amazing things that were even better than I expected. So I guess it all balances out in the end. Yeah, it's such an extreme high on every level with anxiety and um, yeah, just Yeah, that's elite. a good way to put it. Um, I also, you know, as, as females, we can have a tendency, we can either support each other just, you know, in, in amazing ways where we could really take on the world, but there also can be some cattiness going on. How is that when you're actually going forward with a team? Is there a lot of the comparison game that you're playing? Well, because you have competitive spirits, so I bet there's very strong personalities because you, you have to be really competitive. So it's like, does that get in the way? Yeah, you know what, we... The, the 10 of us that were on the 96 team, I think, really kind of lucked out because we had been, um, in synchronized swimming anyway, you, you try out every year for the national team, but just, uh, I don't know if it's by chance or, or what, but it had been the, pretty much the same 10 of us for the last four years, the last quadranium there, and so we became really close, which made it nice. To you know, we were very good friends, all of us. We still keep in touch and do reunions, and um, but yes, if you had gone into a team not knowing that you know the people you were t- training with as closely, I would think it'd be really easy to get competitive against them instead of you know working together. <laughs> so that was kind of really lucky for for us. We were able to, I think, help each other. We'd been through some really rough times, we had some hard practices, some hard meets, you know. So you kind of bond when things get tough, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, do you find that when you're, when you're in that, you're talking about the anxiety and the pressure and you didn't realize that, how do you deal with that? I mean, what are some things, some practical things that you could even tell people? Because I know, like, you know, so for a lot of people, there's the fear of standing in front of an audience and giving a, you know, speaking in public. It's like a huge fear. And people, you know, I mean, people actually say they, they get sick before they go on or, you know, and dealing with the butterflies in your stomach and in being in the Olympics, I, that's got to be magnified, you know, to the nth degree. How do, you, how do you overcome that and you just get in there and you do your sport and not let that, that anxiety get the best of you? Um, you know, I don't know what works for everyone, but I just know what works well for me. It, it's mostly a mental game. And so for me, if I could just remove myself mentally from the situation – and kind of let myself focus on other things, whether or not you're, you're listening to music or uh, reading a book or whatever. You know, sometimes if I was really into a book, I would take that to the meet and, and I could just kind of read right before a, an event. But, you know, just something to kind of just go in another world for a little bit and not focus on, you know, over-focus on what the task at hand is. That, right. I think that really helped, helped me a lot. Um, you know, sometimes just chatting with friends, you know, you'd get to a swim meet and you'd see friends from other clubs around the country that you didn't see very often. So just chatting with them and, you know, anything that wasn't. And then when it got, you know, close to the competition, everyone kind of had to buckle down and really focus. But um, I think not focusing on the task at hand too long is, is a good thing. Well, you know, we find, Patty and I, we, we speak a lot of times, and it, there, you get that, that jitters right before, and then, you, and then sometimes you can look to each other and go, okay, right now my, my, my mind totally went blank. I, I can't yeah. think of anything. <laughs> and you have that, you know, that paralyzing panic moment. 
And you do have to kind of separate yourself sometimes, but then you also, you also are in your mind going over what you're going to say. So you're rehearsing, so you have to kind of separate yourself from, from people because people will come up and talk to you, and you have to kind of get your head in the zone. Do you find yourself, especially doing like the synchronized swimming, you have these routines. So you, you know, you're, walk, you're going through the dance in your head. Do you find that right before you perform, you're going through this dance in your head? And, and you know, do you ever get that panic like, I don't remember what comes next? <laughs> um, luckily, it's not quite the same as speaking. We had, you know, at that point, you've gone through, you've spent a, almost a full year on the same routines, preparing them, and so. But yeah, we do, you know, we would visualize the routines before and and things like that. And I think most athletes at that level kind of have a pre-game routine that they go through, you know, so it's the same every time. So it kind of puts your body in the mode of what comes next, and and so. Um, that's kind of what I would do. So are you guys aware of all the people watching you? Are you just in your own world when you're in there with the team and you're performing? It's just like you're totally in that moment and everything else, you're oblivious to it? You know, actually for me, I think when I, this was a lot of years ago now, but (laughs) at the time when I was swimming, when I was really doing in the moment, I actually could see everything around me and could take it all in. It was the times when I, wasn't quite as prepared that everything would go by like a big blur. <laughs> wow, that that is really interesting that you're like so in the moment yet you can be so aware. And um, Emily, we have about 30 seconds here and we just are um, so excited that you are with us. And when we come back, we would like to talk a little bit more about how that affects This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. Welcome back to Girlfriend It Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We're talking about going for the gold, and we actually have some gold medalist Olympians joining us today on our show. We've been talking with Emily, who is a gold medalist in 1996 Olympics in synchronized swimming. And uh, we're going to keep diving into this conversation, Emily, with you. And um, one thing we want to ask you is, uh, there's so much I'm sure you learned through that whole experience. We've been talking about that. It's, you know, it's a mental thing and the discipline it takes. How have you um, allowed that journey and the things that you learned, how have you applied that to life now, being a mom and being, you know, just integrated into to real life? How have those things helped you? Um. That's a tough question. But we think you must be stress-free. Cause if you <laughs> no, life is never stress-free, I don't think. But it did give me a lot of tools to deal with the stress, which is nice. Nothing's quite as stressful as that was. And so, you know, anytime you've been through something really hard, it's, you know, it makes other things pale in comparison. So that's kind of nice. I yeah, guess. it's all about perspective, isn't it? Well, you know, one thing I, I find really interesting is, like you said, you started when you were – 12 years old, and that seems kind of late. Um, in this next generation, it's like we're putting kids in at three and four and five years of age, and I don't know if we're adding that stress to them, but it seems like as parents, we want our kids to excel at something, to be good at that one thing, but I wonder if we're adding more stress and pressure to them than what we used to have when we were growing up. Yeah, you, you know what, I, I parent probably a lot different than I thought I would in, you know, in my teenage years and early 20s when I was kind of in the middle of it. Now, I, I think the times are changing so fast and moral values are shifting so quickly and there's just a lot out there for our kids to have to wade through and, and handle that now I, I, my 
philosophy now is more, you know, you, you can't really excel at everything. And so I'd rather have them excel at being great people and having good values. And so everything else, you know, it's okay with me if they're not playing baseball every season or soccer every season or whatever it might be. You know, I just want them to be good people. And then they can pick something later on, whatever, you know, might be. Life is long and, you know, they don't have to excel at something when they're little or even mm. in their teens as long as they're happy and, you know, becoming good people. So I don't know. I, I thought I would probably focus more on putting them in sports and music and whatever else and, we kind of let them pick and try to have some family time because life gets so busy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that is really a good point because I think that's the thing we, as, as moms. We want our kids to just be well-rounded and good people. And I remember even going to the parent-teacher conferences and my thing because I do value relationships and the fun and the social aspect. Um, I mean, I wanted my kids to, to succeed intellectually, but I really wanted them to learn how to interact with people. And I remember going to the to the thing, um, the conferences, and I go, okay, how are they interacting with other with the other kids? Are they, are they doing well with that? Are they nice? Are they yes, sharing? Are they being nice? <laughs> people like them, you know, because I right. think value that. You know that you know people have got to like you, and you've got to like people, and you've got to give and all that. So I think so many times we do put a lot of emphasis on the doing. Um, whether it's excelling in sports or, or you know, in or with the, the grades, and we miss just being a great person, you know, yeah. and that's and allow our kids to develop and become who they were created to be. Yeah. Well, I was always in team sports, and I, I was always, uh, you know, an athlete in high school and college. So it's significant. It's important to me for I value that. I mean, along with being nice and, and their values and morals. I, I love the team sport. I love how they have to learn to get along with each other by being together on a team. And they can handle criticism, it seems, yeah. when they're doing a team sport. But I found that um, in putting them, it, unless they're in club or something that <laughs> you have to do it almost every day, it, you don't just get a casual team sport anymore, it seems. It's sad, isn't it? It used to be that everybody could be on the, the baseball team or the football team or whatever, and now it's not quite like that. I know but, even um, for my son in high school, like the, the football team, they even have to have lunch together um, in the every, locker room. every day in yeah. the locker room watching you wow. know, slides. And I thought, okay, whatever happened to having some social time in your <laughs> life? And but I think there is some good that can come from that, too. I mean, I really loved my life and it shaped who I am now, you know, growing up. But I got to choose to, to do that and my parents never pushed me in that direction, but they allowed it. And I think I was able to learn a lot from it and, you know, become who I am. And, and that's good too. So, at what, at what time did you tell your mom and dad that this is where I want to go? I mean, I just wonder, like, um, you know, my son has has made comments about wanting to go with, with track. And you kind of go, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> I yeah. don't believe them. You know, you, you well, want to I give think... everything that they – but you do have a tendency to go, uh-huh, okay. So did your right, parents – whatever. <laughs> yeah. Did they, well, did they dive in or did they kind of go, uh-huh, that's fine, Emily, that's nice. You know, I was when I was young, I was a very, very stubborn child. And so I think they were just waiting for me to find an outlet to channel that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I think – Pretty early on, you know, they saw how much I was putting into it, even when I was at home, even at age 12 and 13. And, you know, I had my goals taped up on my walls all the time. And, you know, so Dude, we kind of see. Like, I think she may be serious about this. <laughs> she might be serious, yeah. <laughs> so. I like the goals taped up because I think so many times, um, and one of the steps that, that John had given thing is don't just talk about it. And I think it's so easy to get in that mode. We're just going to talk about things we're going to do or going to accomplish. And I know for me, I process out loud. And so sometimes I mistakenly think that because I process it out loud, that thus I've done it. And, um, <laughs> what, and, 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 and you, you can get into that mindset, but actually having goals to keep you focused and on track and give you you know, daily challenges, I think, is so helpful no matter what you're doing in life. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, okay. when I was younger, I mean, you know, before I had a family and other focuses, you know, I was able to just focus on myself. So, I, you know, I spent 
just all my time, I, probably to the obsession point, <laughs> obsessing about the, you know, what I was wanting to do and accomplish. And so I think that, it, but I, I was writing that goal, like, you know, in high school, you have the book covers. And so it covered every book cover and every, you know, every doodle sheet and stuff. And I think there's, at the time, I just did it because it was on my mind, but I think there's something to that, to always having it in front of your face, you know? Absolutely. I think that you almost have to be obsessive. If you're going to if you're gonna be the best of the best, you, you have to obsess over it. And, yeah. and that leads to, I know you do uh, the triathlons as well. Um, do you, are you still in that a little bit of a obsessive behavior now? You probably wouldn't see it that way. But you know what? No, no, now every once in a while... I have to step back and say, it's not my time to obsess about it. You know what I mean? I mean, we've got five kids, and they're all kind of young, and, and I can spend, you know, some time devoted to it. But when I start getting a little excited about it and where I find that it's starting to dominate more of my thoughts than I want it to, I kind of have to pull back and not sign up for a race for a while because it's, it's something that I still really enjoy doing yeah. and, you know, and, and having that be part of my life. But... Yeah, I don't really want it to dominate my life anymore. <laughs> so I have to so kind of watch you, myself. Uh, I got to tell you, Lisa's over here looking at me like going, yeah, because she thinks mm-hmm. I obsess at working out. So she's like, listen, listen. She goes <laughs> for hours in the morning, and then she comes and takes a walk in the morning, and then she takes another walk in the afternoon. And then oh, I see her walking. In the evening, she's my I'm neighbor. Like, she's all work. over the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to ask you. So, when you're saying I'm backing away, you still probably put in over an hour a day working out, right? I'll still do an hour to an hour and a half a day, but you know, and, and I don't think that you know necessary. But it's my outlet and it's my fun. It's it's my hobby. And so, whereas somebody else might watch TV, a show that they love, or you know, whatever, they might be watching a TV show for for an hour. But I don't, you know, we don't do. TV at our house very often because we've got other things that we, you know, I'm, I have to get up early because I have my son in the morning. So you just kind of, everyone kind of finds the time that they want for the things it's that they love. Relative, so. Yeah, it's all relative. What, what is obsession? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just agree because when she gets into the three hours a day, I go, okay. But no, <laughs> you know, she's good with that. Hey, I have to, I want to ask a question really quick because Patty and I, we're ones that just believe that everyone needs a cheerleader in life, and, you know, we just believe that we should be advocates for each other. If women would start being each other's advocate and help each other succeed, that it, we could change the culture for women and take off that, you know, comparison and competitive thing. Completely. Down. Um, so with that in mind, with you, I know as an athlete, you have to have a mentor and a coach. So it has, is, is there somebody that comes to mind as a friend that, how has that? How did that role of having somebody in your life to really encourage you? How did that really play into your whole journey? Um, now you mean, or as a former then? Well, as a former then, and even now, because it's, it's like we all need to have that coach and that mentor, somebody that's really bringing out the best of us and encouraging us, and that believes in us. And so, obviously, you must have had that person in your life, even when you were training. You know, I I really did when I was training. I um. On the, the U.S. Olympic team, I was the only one from Arizona. Um, so I was the only one from my club team here. I grew up swimming at Keno Junior High pool every, you know, every day. And I had a, a fantastic club coach that, you know, if anything, her, I would say her best trait was just that we knew she was rooting for us no matter what. And that was, you know, it makes a big difference in your life. If you know your coach is on your side, they're in your corner, they're, you know, so that that really helped. And now, you know, now my husband and I kind of do it for each other, I think. We kind of, you know, he, he likes to do triathlons and he also does marathons. And, we, you know, we kind of, you know, we share the same hobby and we share the same, you know, our children. And so we kind of just play on each other's team that way and try to help each other out that way and, and kind of give and take. Oh, he needs to go to bed early tonight because he had a really rough workout this morning or whatever. You know, I can pick up the slack and put the kids to bed tonight and then he'll do it for me another night or whatever. And that really helps. Yeah. Well, we have one minute left, Emily, if you can leave a tip or just a takeaway for our listeners on going for the gold, what would that be? You know what? I would say um, to, to, to go for something. I think just whatever it is in life, it just brings us joy to have something that we're striving for. It kind of gives us purpose and, 
and something fun to do. I think, you know, when, whenever I've found in my life when I don't really have something I'm going for or trying to improve on or whatever, you know, and it, not, not athletic even, it, it's whatever, learn a language or take a class or just, you know, kind of be improving all the time. I think it just adds joy to life. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a great tip because you're right. It's not always about, um, you know, being an athlete going for the gold. It's being uh, going for the gold in every aspect um, to just do something that you're passionate about because if you don't have that passion, uh, thanks, Emily, and thank you. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. Welcome back to Girlfriend It Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Hey, we have been having a blast today talking about going for the gold. And we just finished talking with Emily Lesueur, who was a gold uh, Olympian medalist in 1996. And now we have Major Dave. Jo- I am like really funny with my letters today. <laughs> They're not forming on my tongue. But we do have Major Dave Johnson, and he was a World Cup medalist, and he is also the national rifle coach at the USA Shooting. And I want to say academy, but it's not an academy. It's an entire, they, they live there and um, train there. And Dave, how are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? We are doing great, and we are so excited to have you on the show. Uh, it sounds like you um, have been a very, very busy man in your life, obtaining all kinds of, of medals. So tell us a little bit more about uh, what got you involved in wanting to train. Well, I was a, a competitor for many years with the, in the Olympic shooting sports, target shooting sports and rifle. Um, I started out as a little kid. My dad uh, took me to the, my me and my brother to the range and to learn gun safety and learn how to shoot. And uh, we kind of got hooked and joined a junior rifle club and then followed on to the to an NCAA rifle team in college at West Virginia University and then uh, pursued the Olympics for several years after and uh, joined the Army along the way, too. So I was on the Olympic team in 1992 and then uh, retired from the sport in 2000 and started coaching. I was coaching up in Alaska, University of Alaska Fairbanks for two years, and then got recruited to come down and coach at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs uh, with the U.S. team in shooting. Wow. Here I am. I, I, um, I'm just so amazed when, I mean, that really has to become just every breathing moment that you wake up till you go to bed, when you live that kind of life with that kind of passion and, as we talked about earlier, just that much obsession. And now as you're coaching, what traits differentiate a gold medal winning athlete from just a really good athlete? That's a good question. There's, a, there's a, quite a few traits um, that a lot of athletes will have in, that are similar, uh, you know, determination, uh, good training habits, um, all, yeah, all sorts of things like that. The stuff that puts people on podiums is really what the the coaching at at this level strives to discern and promote and figure out with their athletes where where they can push those buttons. Um, a lot of it comes down to uh, a, I, I often call it a will, a will to win or a, a will to do what it takes to win. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks that are willing to train, that are willing to, if they're a, a track and field athlete, for example, willing to spend the time on the track, spend the time on the track in their event. Um, and then there's a higher level of athlete that will do that, plus will work outside the margins a bit, find out the extra nutritional 
information they need to, to perform better than their competitors. They'll become even a better student of their sport, whatever they're in, to find that edge and then mm-hmm. execute on the field of play and competition. Um, they just have that determination to get it done no matter what um, in, the, in the event that they're in. That's really what separates found, folks. Have you ever found when you're, when you're dealing with um, some of these individuals that you see some that are truly so gifted and then others, they just want it so badly that you go, okay, if you, if you put that combination together of the one that was gifted that also, like you said, had the will, and do, do you see that? Oh, sure, sure. And, and a lot of our coaching community in all the sports sees the same thing. You'll, you'll run into athletes that are extraordinarily what, what they call maybe naturally talented in that particular event they're in. And unfortunately, oftentimes those, those athletes uh, don't pan out in the long run because it may have been too easy for them in the short run. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the athletes that have to work harder and, re- and truly learn their sport better and learn their techniques better tend to pan out in the long run because they've, they've I, I don't know, maybe a word to say is like they've earned it. They, they've uh, put the time in to become an expert in their event and then they basically appreciate it more, and they know what the work required is. And so when it when it's required, when the event is on, and they have to work hard, they know how to do it. Um, sometimes the folks that are more naturally gifted, they don't they don't learn some of the key parts of their sport, whatever event they're in, that uh, they don't learn it well enough, so that when they're under pressure, they often can't duplicate or or uh, produce it. Well, I like the word you use, like determination. I think that is it's a, such a powerful word because I think so many times um, we are willing to, to really put in the work until it gets difficult and we don't have that determination to just push beyond some of the, the obstacles and even um, putting in the time because, you know, they say so many times to become an expert and especially in the business world, you have to be willing to put in ten, your 10,000 hours. That's right. And I think we live That's in right. such a, a society that we want instant gratification. We, we want all the success without all the work. And so when you see like an, an Olympian athlete and what you're talking about, you have to be willing to put in your 10,000 hours if you really want that gold and if you really want to excel. And you just, you just don't see that, that drive in people as much anymore just because of the way our society is. So how... What would you tell people, like, if so somebody's going, I really want to excel in something, and I think I'm willing to put in the 10,000 hours, what are some things that you look for that you would um, you advise people some steps to really get, get in that zone? Well, I'd uh, tell them first to be, become a student of the sport, you know, seek out uh, the, the coaching resources, um, do a little homework seek out the coaching resources, and start on a path uh, to success. There, I always say in our sport that the path's pretty well-worn. You can look for uh, many years now of very successful athletes in our sport and the things they did to get there. Um, you don't often have to recreate or, or you don't have to create from new um, the path to get to the podium in the Olympic Games. Uh, and I think that's the same for many, many sports. There's a Quite a few books, et cetera, written on the successful steps athletes have taken to get to the top. And so a young person pursuing a sport, whatever it is, should do a little homework, do a little research, um, figure out, okay, how did others get there, and then start on the path. Um, oftentimes it takes, it takes an investment of time just to figure out if they want to do it. Um, you know, many of the sports, uh, it, uh, it's a big eye-opener when they see the level of work it takes to get from point A to point Z <laughs> at, the Olympic, at the Olympic Games. And mm-hmm. so I'd encourage parents and young folks out there to, you know, to, if they're going to take the step in, get in and, and, and look at what it takes. I, I often say to our athletes out here, the, mo- the most frustrated people in the world are the ones that try to straddle the competitive path and the recreational path in any sport. They're pretty good, and they think they want to work hard for the Olympic Games, but really they don't want to work that hard. They want to just do it as a recreation. 
Um, <laughs> but they tell their family and friends and coaches and all, hey, I'm after the gold or, or after a big goal. Well, you just can't get there doing that, and they try to have a foot in both worlds. Um, yeah. You, you, well, you were you know, a resident athlete at the training center there in Colorado Springs. What did that look like for you? Like, how many years did you actually live there, and what would an average day look like? Well, I lived here on and off for five and a half years. Um, an average day in our sport would look like a we do range and technical training in the mornings. Um, in the afternoons, we had a mix of uh, physical training, workout, and then I, I call it the education part. Uh, many of us pursued everything from uh, more technique in the sport to technical aspects of the sport, like our, a lot of our stuff. We, we spend a lot of time on like uh, gun work, ammunition work, and things, to also the aspects of sports psychology, vision training, uh, nutrition, um, and other things. So we, and, and some of us worked part-time also. I, I happen to have a part-time job to keep, keep myself in the uh, gear. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, and I have to ask a question. We only have a couple minutes left. This has been so enlightening, and I think so many things you've said can apply to so many areas of our lives. And so we just so appreciate you taking the time to just come on and share your heartbeat and your passion with us. But um, when athletes come in and they, um, and they, do they have to sign up or sign like a contract or, or like an agreement that they're going to stick with the program? Or is there some kind of accountability on that end? Because so many people go, I want to do this, but yet they don't have the accountability. Sometimes you need that contract or, well, what does that look like? Well, that, that's a very good point. Accountability is very important. Uh, as I was talking about earlier, you know, the, the folks that try to, straddle the recreational path with the competitive path, sometimes it's because they don't want to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our athletes here, we we have uh, everything from sport contracts where they they have to follow certain rules to be in the sport and be a participant, use certain gear, support sponsorships, et cetera, to also training plan contracts where we work with the athletes directly on training plans that they must follow and they have a series of markers throughout the year that are linked in with the U.S. Olympic Committee policies and our USA Shooting Policies and Procedures um, that are designed to help the athlete, one, grow and progress, but also gives them a, a way to measure up at the end of six months and a year um, and over time so that we can help identify some markers that show whether they're progressing, whether their work is paying off, uh, and identify areas that we we have to address and become stronger in. And so it, it really helps us focus our resources, uh, which are precious. Uh, we're uh, at all Olympic sport in the United States is privately supported. We're not a government-funded uh, opportunity like a lot of countries. So we treat our resources very, very highly, and we work with the athletes to make sure we maximize the use of those. And so, and, and also just for their time in life, we don't want somebody out here that comes in and is just treading water. We want them to, we realize they're making a huge commitment, putting life goals on hold, doing something very different than their peers. Well, thank you, Major Johnson, for being on the show with us today, and we'll talk with you next. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show designed.